Empire. Welcome to Making the Case, Crimes Against Kids. In this series, we dig deep into and help prevent the worst of the worst criminal behavior, crimes against children. It's a tough subject, and you're going to hear and learn about the world of crimes against kids from our expert guests. Some are survivors of crime themselves, others are law enforcement, and many are advocates for crime prevention and legislative change. I'm Avery Mann. I spent 16 years fighting crime with the hit Fox TV show America's Most Wanted and five years at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Crimes are being committed every minute of every day, and law enforcement just doesn't have the resources or the time to solve every case. Often, children are the target, and that's where my company comes in. SOS 360 Inc. provides expert training to families, schools, their PTAs, and camps on how to help detect who the bad guys are so they never get hired and never get to work around kids. What can you do right now to keep yourself, your loved ones, and our kids safer? That's next on Making the Case, Crimes Against Kids. The morning of Wednesday, June 16, 2004, seemed like a pretty normal day for today's guest. He and his wife, Bruna, woke up, got their four-year-old son ready for a big adventure, and then he drove them to the airport. Bruna and Sean were heading to Brazil for a two-week vacation, a trip that the family had been planning for some time. Mom was from Brazil, and though the family lived and worked in New Jersey, trips to her native country to see their son's maternal grandparents and extended family was pretty common. But this trip would become anything but common. David Goldman received a call from his wife, and using a voice he had never heard before, she told him that she and Sean were staying in Brazil forever, that their marriage was over, and if he ever wanted to see his son again, he'd sign over full custody to her. In complete shock and utter disbelief, that call set off a five-year international legal custody battle that despite Brazilian corruption, court ineffectiveness, and dirty tricks by Bruna's family, ended with Sean returning to the United States with his father in 2009. David Goldman is my guest today. Welcome to the show, David, and what a hell of a journey it's been for you. Thanks, Avery. It's good to be here. Nice to talk with you again. Let's start right at the beginning. How did David Goldman of New Jersey meet Bruna Bianchi Carnero Ribeiro of Brazil? I was working in Milan, Italy, and she was getting a uh, degree in fashion design, and we happened to be living in the same apartment complex. And that's how we met. We ran into each other in the lobby, in the hallway, because we actually happened to be living on the same floor. So the relationship started right from there, and you started dating, and you were you were both two foreigners living abroad. Yeah, she um, and her family, her, um, her mom is from an Italian descent, so they were very familiar with Italy. Her, they also carried Italian passports and um, spoke fluent Italian. Her mom's, uh, 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 grand, her mom's dad um, was a direct descendant from Italy and moved to Brazil uh, many years earlier. So they were very familiar with, with Italy. But um, yeah, so we would bump into each other. And I think uh, the first time we decided, hey, let's, uh, let's go grab a, a pizza together. What, what would be a better <laughs> thing to do in Italy. On, on the first uh, date in Italy? Yes. And so eventually the relationship blossomed and you were dating and you got engaged. What made you decide to move to New Jersey and, you know, settle back in the United States? And, and what was life like there for both of you? Uh, well, essentially, well, her parents have been to New Jersey uh, many times because her father liked to go to Atlantic City and they liked to go to New York. Um, she would just uh, was graduating with her degree and um, to her, the appeal of New York City and fashion was something that you know looked very promising to her. It's safe. Uh, they certainly and her family certainly didn't want us to go and uh, to move to Brazil. The opportunities here in America are much greater, and the safety is uh, obviously it's not even a comparison. Um, but we dated for a bit before obviously we got engaged, and her parents came and visited us many times. Um, visited me. I had a place here in in New Jersey that um, 
uh, we, we'd stay at and her parents would come and visit. In fact, they stayed a whole summer and they fell in love with the New Jersey coastline and purchased uh, a townhouse actually in Seabright, New Jersey, before we were even married. And I wanted to make it clear that um, I, I really hope that we would you know, spend the rest of our lives yeah. together and be married yeah. and have a family. But you purchasing this townhouse in Seabright isn't uh, going to pressure me to make that decision, nor Bruno. We will make that yeah. on our own time yeah. and, and if and when we, we feel that way. But it seemed like they kind of predicted what we were headed towards. So it all worked out for the, the, the time being. Yeah, of I mean, course. it seems like everybody seemed to love New Jersey, the water, the climate, you know, the fact that it was in the United States. During this time, did you visit Bruno's family in Brazil at all? We never talked about moving there. there. The whole idea was that they loved it here, that they loved that she was um, in America, again, safe. Um, opportunities abound uh, with her fashion career that she would pursue in, in the city. Um, and they had bought the place in New Jersey. So they would come here more than we would even go there. But we would visit. We would visit her um, maternal grandmother and some other relatives that lived there, but uh, even her brother ended up going to an acting school in New York. And so it seemed like we would go there for little vacations, but most of the time we would be in America and travel to different places for vacations here with her mom and dad, because they would come almost one month on, one month off. You know, I'm sure for you to have this extra set of parents around. I mean, your parents were in New Jersey. Her parents are coming in a lot. It, it really sounds like you had set up really a wonderful life for 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 you and for, and for Bruna and, and for Sean when Sean was born. He had four grandparents that were all alive well and very much a part of his life and um, loving parents. And uh, yeah, he was a very happy, um, well cared for little little guy. And then Wednesday, June 16th, 2004 happens. Tell me about that day. Uh, well, her parents were here. They were visiting. And it was uh, to be a two-week vacation. I was going to join them the second part. I was working the beginning, so I couldn't go the whole time. And uh, I, it was we woke up and... So I drove them uh, to the airport. We got in the car and um, drove them all to Newark Airport for a vacation. You know, it was uh, hugs, kisses, goodbye, and have a nice flight and be safe and call me when you get there. And it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. So it seemed totally normal. Uh, the days before leading yes. up, you you were you were packing Sean's stuff. You were probably packing some of his toys. You know, he was a four-year-old little guy, mm -hmm. huge into toys at that mm -hmm. point. Um, probably had some mm -hmm. favorite stuffy and... You know, he was taking a couple things with him for the vacation. And uh, what happens after that? So they called the that they were they made it OK and everything seemed to be fine. And uh, she mentioned uh, there was a nanny there that was very, really excited to see Sean and that Sean loves this nanny so much. Um, and, you know, that was one of the things that I thought back on, like, why would she be so you know, why would she emphasize that so much about how this nanny was shown? And it wasn't until uh, Father's Day, which would have been June 16th, a few, few days after, then I, I got this phone call that we need to talk. David, we need to talk. It was like a, a, a very robust, almost reading something, like she was reading something because she wouldn't be able to get it all out on, on her own. Our marriage is over, our love affair is over, that she's decided to stay in Brazil with Sean. And um, if I want to, I can come visit him. Um, but in the meantime, I need to sign uh, something like seven pages of documents that her lawyer had drawn up. And it was basically saying, uh, giving full custody never pressing any criminal charges, uh, never going to the courts, never going to a judge, never all, all these demands. And if I didn't meet all of her demands, that I would never see Sean again, and I would spend 
all my money trying to see him again. Drive them to the airport. They, they mm-hmm. land. They're there a few days. You're in touch with them. And then you get this call followed by this information from a lawyer. It, it, it just seems that so much must have been put in place in advance of, of Bruno leaving um, to Brazil, involving her parents who had spent so much time with you in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Were, were there any clues that you had leading up to that? I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but looking back, did you, were there any breadcrumbs that were left that could could have possibly tipped you off to this horrible thing that was about to happen to you? That's all I did in the beginning. How did I miss this? How did I not see this? You know, um, I'm, I, I'm, I thought that I was a pretty perceptive person. There were a couple things in, in hindsight. The day that they were packing that, that morning, I was uh, outside with Sean on swing on the swing set and brought him upstairs because he needed to use the restroom. And when, when we opened the door, it was her and her mom, and they had more than a normal amount of suitcases, which I didn't even think about at the time, but in retrospect, I did. And both of them looked like they just got their hands caught in the cookie jar. And, and then immediately there was an explanation, oh, we have to pack extra suitcases because there's a wedding. My friend's wedding is while we're there during this first week, and it's in the mountains, so I need to pack clothes to go where the weather is colder. But, you know, again, it was a logical, and it, if you're not thinking that your wife is going to kidnap your children, you wouldn't suspect anything that they said would be unusual or to kick off any alarm. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I just took, took them for their word. Okay, so you have extra suitcases. And, and the look, well, I didn't realize the look until after I thought back and I realized their expressions, and I'm thinking, they weren't packing for a wedding. They were just filling suitcases with things that she was taking with her, knowing she wasn't going to come home. The other thing was when uh, they would go, they'd be here, you know, back and forth. Um, we would look after their townhouse. Um, you know, sometimes bring in mail if there was a package or if there was a storm with a power failure, you know, just to go. And so we'd have a second set of keys, which was also taken. Those are really it. Those two things were really that that was it. Yeah, what what I'm thinking about is just that that body language <clears throat> that was giving them away, um, mm-hmm. with no other clues really. I mean, you were you were blindsided. You were completely blindsided. I I, I was, uh, yes, terribly so. Well, it would seem like forever until David would get to see Sean again. When we come back, David will talk about the tricks and maneuvers that would be used against him preventing him from seeing his own son. Stay with us. One day, he's driving his family to the airport for a vacation to Brazil, and the next thing he knows, he's being told by his wife that he'll never see his son again. David Goldman is my guest, and we're talking about the international parental abduction of his four-year-old son, Sean. David, how long would it be before you would get to see Sean again and and sort of describe that situation to us where you saw him and 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 how that went after after it was nearly five years since I was able to see him from his abduction countless trips to Brazil countless court appearances in both courts I was finally able to see him like I said nearly five years after his mother passed away. I received word that um, through somebody here in New Jersey, uh, something on the internet, something was posted that um, Sean's mom passed away. My still wife, she she passed away. So David, Sean is now in Brazil with his mother and presumably his, his, his grandparents and other, other family members. How long would it be before you would get to see him again? I know you were you were battling in the courts there in New Jersey. You're going back and forth. You're, you're from what I understand, you were traveling down there and you were being denied uh, an opportunity to spend time with him, right? I absolutely was, and and to that effect, um, and that's where I learned about uh, the enormity of um, 
the issue of international child abduction. Um, just to kind of step back a little bit, I'm just a guy from New Jersey, right? My parents were never divorced. My sister's married, kids never divorced. Nobody in my family has been divorced. And, and all of a sudden, not am I only now facing a, a, a international um, child abduction, some sort of divorce in Brazil, um, having my family ripped apart. And, and I realized, but as, as tough as this is for me, I'm not alone. There's been thousands of left behind parents facing the same issue uh, that, that, and horrific um, experience that I was going through. And uh, you really feel like you're you're alone. No one really can say the right words because there aren't any words. How do you make somebody feel better? You know, someone can only just say, "I'm there for you." Not only do you have a physical distance barrier of the the distance between Brazil and the United States, you've got a language barrier. You've got lawyers working for you there and in the United States. How did you, in fact, get that that first meeting with Sean to see him after so many years? And and were you scared? I was not scared. My love for Sean was is unconditional. And I knew uh, the, the amount of time that we were able to spend together, which is paramount in, in, in any parent and child relationship, those first four formative years of the child's life, spend as much time as you can and that bond almost becomes an unbreakable, and in our case, it was an unbreakable DNA bond. Um, it really, it really surprised a lot of the experts um, because he was subjected to such a per pernicious practicing of, of, of parental alienation that uh, the courts in Brazil eventually even recognized the fact that if he continued to be there and, and living under the circumstances that he was, he would no longer even recognize me as his father. But I wasn't scared. I just put sort of blinders on, tunnel vision, and everything I did was just for the love of my child. Yeah, I mean... And you, it was yeah. our right to be with each other, our God-given right, our legal right, our, our our human right to be with each other. I remember seeing Period. some videos way back of, of you being with him and them imposing, you know, minders, basically, you know, guards around you to to make sure that you didn't do anything and you you just went through it and you had to do it and you you got to spend time with sean what, what was what were those first moments with him like after so many years when we walked in together those guards were there for intimidation more to intimidate sean as part of their parental alienation to get this little boy to think wow what, what's wrong with my father that we need to have protection and guards it's all a ploy from these experts that she was involved with on how they can continue to try to control his mind, his thoughts, his fears, his expectations, and everything else in between. Uh, I looked at him. There's my son. I brought some of his old toys when we were able to see him. I'll paint the picture. We pull up to their townhouse. By this time, the, some of the media picked up on our case, on our story. And I was able to finally get some diplomatic help. And one of our congressmen from New Jersey, he came with me. Amazing, amazing. I mean, that's a whole other uh, episode on, on the work that Congressman Smith does. And even in our first meeting, what a champion he is for human rights and children's mm -hmm. rights. So the gates part to get into their sort of compound. We get escorted to this table by, a, by the swimming pool. It was outside. It was summer. So the plan was that we would spend some time, have lunch, and maybe swim in the pool and uh, have, a, have a little bit of uh, father and son time together. I'm waiting by the, you know, the table and uh, sitting down under a chair with an umbrella on it, a sunny day in the tropical Brazil. Mm -hmm. And then I see Sean um, come uh, from exit one of the doors in one of the uh, complex, one of the buildings, accompanied by... Um, uh, 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 an older man, probably um, in his 40s or so, big guy, and um, Sean like starts to run, and then the guy kind of says something, so Sean stops, runs towards me, that is, and then the, the, the man says something, so he kind of slows down, and uh, 
So then he walks slowly, starts walking towards me. I stand up and I wanted to just run over to him. It's been so long, mm. so many, so many, just about every night was a sleepless night. So much torture and heartache and heartbreak. I just wanted to take my little boy, lift him up and squeeze him and not let go. But I had to hold that back too, because I knew at the time what he was going through and I didn't want to be overbearing. And I, yeah. uh, I just tried to take deep breaths and 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 just taking every moment of just seeing my son after not seeing him for nearly five years walk over towards me. He's grown a little bit, of course. Yeah. And uh, yeah. um, I uh, stood up, gave him a, a hug and kissed him on his forehead. And we sat down and I, you know, tried to speak calm and slow and um, originally, they were putting him in an American school because one of the things is uh, he was an American citizen, so yeah. he was able to be yeah. enrolled in an American school because that was a prestigious thing there. Um, but after they realized what uh, that I wasn't just going to roll over and let mm -hmm. them take our child, they removed him from the school and tried to not only erase me as his father, but erase any American heritage, lineage, thoughts, ideas, anything that he ever had from America and just basically told him horrible things about um, America. So how was how was his English? Because they sp speak Portuguese there. So he did speak more um, than I would have imagined because they did say he has no longer any capacity with the for the English language, but he spoke English. In fact, he was very clear on uh, asking me right off the bat, where have you been? Where have you been? And um, of course, uh, gut wrenching. Yeah. But not to start pointing fingers and blame, and I just tried to sort of deflect it and 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 tell him, uh, you know, I obviously I did not want to blame his grandparents or his mom from taking him initially. Uh, I just said I've been there many times, Sean, many times over the years. Uh, and, and there was always just something going on in the courts that it just wasn't possible. And then I quickly went to, but I'm here now, you're here now. It's so great to see you. You look so good. You're so healthy. You have a suntan here. Here's some little toys right to here's, do you remember this little Scooby-Doo action figure? Do you remember? That's great. So, and I brought pictures, brought pictures right away of his bedroom. Cause I didn't change a thing in it brought pictures of us going to the beach, pictures of grandma, his great grandma that unfortunately passed away while he was abducted. And her last words were, I hope to God they bring that little boy home. That's incredible. And, yeah. you know, when you talk about the left behind family, I remember, with, you know, all the years I spent at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, it always was difficult for people to understand the concept of a parental abduction. For people who are not familiar with this, they, they might think that a, a child who's abducted by a parent is actually in no danger at all. But you've mentioned it a couple times, this parental alienation. T talk to me a little bit about that. Tell me what does, does that really mean? Because kids taken by their parents aren't just living some fabulous life somewhere else, are they? Um, they're absolutely not. I'll fast forward. We showed pictures. We talked. What do we do now? Let's jump in the pool. So we go in the pool. And with that, there's a connection. Parent, child, what do they want to do? They want to climb on you. They want to mm -hmm. sit on your shoulders. They want to play. So with that, we, he was climbing on me, trying to dunk me, splash me, you know, we're goofing around. And he swam right into my arms and I looked at him. I said, I love you so much, buddy. And he goes, I love you too, dad. And I remember and too it, you telling me about that, that, that visit. I mean, I've, I've known you a long time. And you said the, the expressions yeah. that he had were so, so interesting. I mean, probably watching American TV. I remember you saying, you know, he wanted you to like hug him with, he, he said like maximum force or something like that. Maximum force. <laughs> maximum force. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hug me with maximum force. But no sooner when we were really beginning to break, peel the onion, so to speak, and really be that father and son, that DNA bond that they did not break. Well, they instructed the man that was his friend to jump in the pool with us and start to sort of separate us and get in between as we were playing catch with a like a beach ball. Yeah. 
So as this man comes in and he starts to sort of put a wrench in this bond in our reunification, I look again, what do I do to defuse this, mm -hmm. to stop my this from happening? So I look at the guy, you're in the pool with us, here, catch the ball. <laughs> catch the ball. You want to play with us? I'll accept you. Catch, catch the ball. Yep. So after maybe 30 seconds, the man himself just felt like an idiot mm -hmm. and left the pool. With that, we continued a great day swimming underwater, playing, and uh, it was a really, I couldn't have imagined a visit after so long, after so much agony had going so well. That night was when they ratcheted up their parental alienation. What they did was after seeing him, you know, they were watching us um, from their windows with cameras and so on and so forth. They kept him up all night long. They the sleep deprived him because we were visiting the next day. Mm -hmm. And they told him, you cannot say I love you. You cannot hug him. You cannot call him dad. Um, he's just, his whole purpose is to rip you away from us. You'll never see us again. You can't do this to us. So it was basically hostage situation, yeah. what yeah. they were doing to him. But so this next day, he came out. Apparently they said he was up all night and I found out the reason why. Um, he was sick to his stomach. And once I really learned on what happened, I didn't want him and our, you know, our visits to be a source of more anguish. I, I would not be a part of their torture to my son, which they were sort of by me wanting to come visit him and then doing all this thing it would be an adverse effect and psychological adverse effect to him. Every time he, if he saw me, he would have this anxiety yeah. um, to the point of wanting to vomit. So I saw it and I said, it's okay. You don't feel so well. We can visit another time. It's got to be so hard. And, you know, when you talk about the parental alienation, you know, there's there's laws in the U.S. against kidnapping there. And there are even supposed to be international remedies. What's the Hague Convention on the civil aspects of international child abduction? I mean, it's a real mouthful of a long name. But tell us about that, 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 that Hague Convention. The key word is the civil aspects. In 1980, it was sort of uh, the America, United States, uh, joined into that Hague Convention. And it's a treaty, an international treaty on the civil aspects of um, parental child abduction. And um, it's, it's based on reciprocity. Uh, and there's some, some premise that needs to be met before a child should be returned. Uh, you know, as the world became smaller with international travel and, and such. Um, uh, unfortunately, marriages don't last. Even domestic marriages don't last in their custody battles. But when it's an international um, divorce or custody, or in our cases, abduction um, issues, they needed some sort of remedy to help these left behind parents. And, you know, taken to our country, taken from our country. Uh, uh, there's, I think, maybe 80 countries now signed on to it. So it's a, it's a remedy to return these abducted children. And basically there's three criteria. You file your um, petition for return within a year. You have proof of habitual residence, meaning the place the child was living prior to his or her or their removal. And that there is no uh, past um, um, issues of violence or, or, or abuse. Once those three things have met, the child should be returned within six weeks to cause as little damage to the child as possible. So they figured six weeks is enough to show school records, dental records, medical records and such to show where the child was living. Um, obviously, if you file, file it within a year, you, the six weeks should be right away if you yeah. filed it right like immediately. Yeah. And... Um, the year is, is, is a big grace period and you know they can look anyone could look at any any uh, uh, police records to see if there's any charges or past instances of so any sort of abuse 
You said it before, you know, there's marriages that break up domestically, there's custody battles. You know, unless you're really involved in this in this issue, I I, I don't think people really understand um, how many kids are, are affected. And, um, you know, you you know the numbers. I mean, how many kids in, let's say, a 10-year period are victims of international parental child abduction? Well, I believe from what two from the two thousand nine and ten years past that, there was over eleven thousand. It's, it's unbelievable. It, it's it's hard to believe. And and when you say the reciprocity of the Hague Convention, that means that you know if the U.S. is returning kids, other countries should be returning kids. What comes to mind is there was a you know a huge case in two thousand with Elian Gonzalez who was returned to Cuba, and there was so much mm-hmm. controversy about that because they, you know, they wanted him to stay with his relatives in, in the United States, but he had a father. He had a father in Cuba. And he had a father. was returned. We returned a child to communist Cuba. Obviously, we don't have a uh, civil aspects uh, convention agreement with them, mm. but yet we did the right thing. We returned that boy to his natural father. And then we have many, many countries who are who have been who have ratified and accepted the the treaty the Hague Convention, and they do not return children. In fact, while we have been fighting and waiting for my son to be returned to America, we uh, were returning children to Brazil. And and how many children? Brazil, have, how many children have come out of Brazil back to their 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 left behind parents besides your son Sean? Well, to this date, we don't have any judicial returns from Brazil to America. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, Except for my son. Well, I want to I ask you uh, a little bit more about that. So Bruna divorces you in Brazil, and then she marries this guy, uh, João Paulo Lindsay Silva, in, in, in 2007. But he, he wasn't just some quiet little new husband, was he? Tell, tell me a little bit about him. Uh, basically, you could say that she married into uh, an equivalent of the Kennedys of Brazil, except uh, very bad. So they had the power. They their their grandfather founded the Socialist Party. Um, would have been president, but he was a little too old. Apparently, he was uh, one of the first um, Supreme Court judges. And they have a family full of lawyers. This guy, the guy she married in Brazil, his father was a lawyer. Um, they have three branches. The, the grandfather had three sons, uh, all lawyers. They had uh, criminal law, civil law, and family law. And she married into the family law. And his father actually would give lectures on the Hague Convention. And in one uh one lecture, we actually had a, uh, a tape of, of him speaking to parental alienation. And to quote him, he said, the abducting parents will use the child as an attack missile, mm-hmm. as an attack missile against a left behind parent. So they knew every trick in the book and their tentacles were deep in the political and judicial system of Brazil. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the, the yeah. irony is so incredible um, that she marries into this family that is supposedly working for other families who are in the exact same situation as you while they're doing this to you. And and you even told me that this guy tried to get the court to remove you from Sean's birth certificate and put him as the father. Is, is, that, is that really true? That is 100% true. When... Um, of course, uh, when she passed away, they didn't make news of it. They didn't want anyone to know because they still wanted their little plan to keep going, moving forward. So this guy that she married in Brazil went to the courts in Rio, where they're from, where they have big connections, and said, this boy, my son, this boy's mother passed away. We have no idea who or where the father is. I have been married to his mother, and uh, I want to um, remove the natural father's name off the birth certificate and erase any uh, 
lineage, history, anything of his natural father and make a new birth certificate, make a new birth certificate and put my own name on it. It's 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 unbelievable. I mean, thankfully, somehow, you know, you were made aware of of so many things that were going on despite the distance and I in the nick of time yeah it, yeah it's it's unbelievable and I know that you know at this point you really started to get some traction from um, both the US and the Brazilian media what do you think their role was in in your fight to get Sean back one thing I did learn uh, is uh, yeah again I was just a regular guy regular job I really wasn't heavy uh, heavily into politics and, and things of that nature, but I did learn a lot. Um, I did learn a lot, and one of the things is the media is essentially a fourth branch of government. Fortunately, I had no skeletons in my closet because bef- they look for that, mm-hmm. right? They want to yeah. see what's missing, yeah. what's missing. Exactly. What did this man do? What did this man do that not only did his wife leave him, but take his child and go on the other end of the world and deny him uh, to ever even see this child again. So fortunately, um, I had nothing to hide and I was fighting for so long that it was, I, I had nothing to lose. And and you had big people and, behind you. You had Meredith Vieira um, from the Today Show. You had you know, uh, Dateline NBC. You had Jeff Rawson there. I mean, these are these are household names. That was David Goldman on Dateline six weeks ago, crestfallen. This was David a few days ago, grateful as he listened to passionate speeches supporting a House resolution that calls on the Brazilian government to immediately return his abducted son, Sean. Brazil's only legitimate and legal option now, as it has been, is to effectuate Sean's return, and it must be done now. You're so lucky, and it was great that you had nothing to hide. You had nothing in your past. You were just a broken-hearted, left-behind dad who was doing everything he could to get his son back. And I, th- I think that story resonated with a lot of people in the United States. Uh, 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 luckily, um, and you know, as I alluded to before, there aren't any other parents I'm highly unlikely would get the coverage that ours, that ours received. But they're all just as worthy and needing it just as much. We got lucky. We, we, I guess it's because of the powerful family, whatever the time, you know, maybe if my story was happening right now, Mm -hmm. they would still brush it over. The passing of his mom, I think was, is what sparked the initial interest. And people are like, well, how, 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 how could he not be, you know, maybe if the mom was still alive, I could see, but now that there's not even a mom and, and his dad, who's, been uh, by all accounts, you know, a fine, involved parent. Why can't he be with his child now? That didn't make sense, and it started to frustrate people. And the more the media, Meredith Vieira was amazing on the Today Show, and and originally it was uh, it was um, Jeff Pegues from ABC that did a quick little eyewitness news blurb on it, and that's where NBC. Today Show picked it up, and then from then they did. Uh, from the, after that, then they did a Dateline episode, and the more they delved into it, they just saw um, the, the 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 egregious um, miscarriage of of justice through the courts and just through human rights, and through that um, airing of the Dateline show, there were other people from Washington who just happened to be, you know, at home watching Dateline. And that's where uh, 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 former Secretary uh, Bernie Aronson saw it. Mm -hmm. That's where Congressman Mm -hmm. Chris Smith, his wife, saw it. And they all were getting like elbows. Hey, look at this. This is a greater issue than we even realized. We've got to do something. I think it was also to your luck that you were in a suburb of New York City where you had a lot of access to – you know, the big media, the national media being there. Well, luckily, David wasn't alone in his fight to bring Sean home. All of his hard work and attention from the media helped get attention of some important political figures here at home. And what they did next was the ultimate game changer. Stay with us. Despite being blocked at nearly every turn, 
David Goldman was about to see the tables turned on Brazil, leading to him being the only parent to ever have a kidnapped child in that country returned to their legal parent. David, what, what was going on for Sean at this time? How was he doing and what fears did you have for him about his, his well-being? Well, um, at, at that point, again, we had one great visit and then we had the other visit after they after the first visit when they kept him up all night. So I did not see him. I only could imagine what they were putting him through. I only could hope that we would end this, resolve it amicably, peacefully, and we'd be able to leave and start our rebuilding and and enter this new chapter and heal together back home in New Jersey as father and son. You mentioned earlier some of the people who got involved after the media started to pay attention to the to your 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 case and you know everybody knows the expression money talks what do you think the final straw was that kind of broke the back of the brazilian government you know the judicial system sean's maternal grandparents bruna's husband that whole legal team that ultimately led you to be able to to bring sean home and have him given to you at that point um, I would always continue to be the squeaky wheel. I was a nuisance. I would not go away. We began to have pressure. We had Secretary of, of, of State Hillary Clinton um, bring up the issue with her counterpart. We even had at that time uh, President Obama bring it up with that then at the time uh, President Lula. So it was, uh, it took on a life greater than than I would imagine and and uh, the attention than I would even ever dreamed of. But ultimately, after I was going back and forth through the courts and they were every every trick that they would try to pull up, you know, they would delay, 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 which is what a lot of times and most of the time what the abductors do. Um, finally, there was a uh, Senator Lautenberg. He was one of the two from New Jersey, Senator Lautenberg, yes. And uh, there was a, 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 a trade um, uh, agreement that comes up for a vote and it was a GSP and um, it's, it's basically our country um, uh, uh, extending um, aid to many, many, many different countries. And in this case, uh, we always give Brazil um, millions and millions of dollars every year just on aid. Mm-hmm. And he said, I am holding up those funds until they send that boy back to his natural father. Enough's enough. He said, I'm dropping the hammer down. Yes, it is. It really, it really was. And uh, that might have been the, the straw that said, you know what? Yeah. As, as much as you guys have power, as much as we want to, you know, show that no – you know, they tried to say America's the big bully and all this. They just put him on a. Uh, they 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 put him in. Uh, they, the judges decided to send him home. But I know that it wasn't smooth sailing for you both once you landed back in the United States. I mean, you had so much work to do to reestablish your relationship with Sean. You had to rebuild all of your trust with him, and you still had to deal. With Bruna's family, they did not stop harassing you, did they? Like, what, what, what were they doing and saying at that point once you returned to New Jersey with Sean? Okay, so to fast forward through all the trauma to get him from the Brazilian compound to the embassy to an airplane to America to trying to hide for a while mm-hmm. to getting back home, establishing his trust and his love and trying to reacclimate him. Um, at the same time, the Brazilian uh, grandparents decided to um, start more legal proceedings. Um, they're very litigious people in the New Jersey courts, essentially suing me for custody. Uh, and there again, that's because the Hague Treaty is civil. One of the things that it is against is if somebody tries to file criminal proceedings against these abductors, then the courts or the country that the child's been abducted to will never return the child knowing that there are criminal uh, 
the, 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 the parent, the left the abducting parent or grandparent or whomever it, it was will face criminal charges and be thrown in jail if they want to see the child that they yeah. abducted. But you had Sean. So it, it, you it, had uh, Sean now, and these grandparents were, were the were the co-conspirators in the abduction. They were the co-conspirators, but there were never any criminal charges filed against them because of the civil aspects of the Hague Convention. So they were welcomed to uh, file any type of legal proceedings they wanted. And in fact, in New Jersey has very strong grandparent rights and even stronger when their uh, child, the maternal um uh, the mom of, of the child is deceased. Mm-hmm. So it gave them even more rights because they were the last link of uh, the connection. So I had to fight again in courts for custody of my child and this time against the grandparents. So it didn't end. It didn't end at that, at that moment that you landed back in the United States. But Sean stayed with you the entire time, right? Sean stayed with me. Um, we ended up, um, I didn't have the funding. I couldn't keep fighting this. They seemed to have endless resources, but I certainly did not. So, uh, before they even filed, however, we reached out to them to, because one of the things that I, I said, and I was true to my word is I would not do to him what they did to him and me. I would not keep them out of his life. Uh, and at this point, let's build the trust back. Let's start a process where Sean reacclimates. We, you know, become father and son and start to do our routine. And he's familiar with things. And he realizes New Jersey isn't a frozen Arctic tundra, yeah. um, and we don't live in a in a basically a, a an outhouse on a on a brook is basically what they said to him. Yeah. Um, so let's 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 bond again and. And then let's let's have them come and visit. Let's keep them in his life because they are his grandparents. Maybe they'll see uh, the, the things that they had done. And if they do sincerely want the best for him, then let's make this whole process as peaceful as possible. But that's not the way they want. Yeah, you it, you you were taking you were definitely taking the high road. And I think that uh, to many other left behind parents. Um, you're, you're a unicorn and especially the dads. I mean, you got the attention of the national media, you got serious politicians involved and you became such a huge, loud voice for Sean's well being. So what do you say now to the other left behind parents who, who want what you have? They want the attention you got. They want the influence that you got. How do you help them as, as the dad who got the son back? I tell them to never give up. You can't ever give up hope on your on on your children. I couldn't. Some some parents do. I mean, there are many of these cases that don't get reported, and and the State Department has closed many cases because they've gone on too long, and the child either has aged out, or the parent just runs out of resources and can't go on any any longer, and it's and it's horrible for them. Um, we we do what we can. We have the Bring Sean Home Foundation. It's just basically a couple of us who are volunteer. We try to give grants to the left behind parents to help them with their extraordinary legal and financial struggles throughout this. Um, we'll reach out, we'll try to put them in connection with some of the people that we've met in Washington. Um, but it, 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 and, and that's the, re- the reality of it, Avery is, it's extremely unlikely that a parent will get the attention that we were so fortunate to receive and and again honestly by the grace of god is how we got it because i i there are each case is as equally as compelling yeah in in my view each case is as equally as compelling deserves the attention deserves the help and deserves the same result that we were so fortunate to to receive and uh, it's almost like a survivor's guilt that why us yeah I can why us that. and, yeah. and I, I think people who are listening today they think oh you know the 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 u.s state department the fbi they're just going to swoop in and bring that child back to the united states but there is so much red tape and other nonsense that goes on with the bureaucracy to get to, to get a child home dealing with that what you talked about the parental alienation and 
and everything. It's, it, you know, it, it, it takes so much work and, you know, we're going to make sure that the bring Sean home foundation website information is on our website so that people can look at it and they can donate if they think they can help or if there are other resources that they think that they think they can provide. I, I want to ask you one last question. How, how it takes Sean, more than a village. Yeah, Sorry absolutely. to interrupt. It takes more than a village. Absolutely. And and you've had Sean back now for 11 years. What's, what's life like for, for you both and how is Sean doing? Sean is a typical, and he's 20 years old now. Wow. He's about wow. going on six foot three. He, unfortunately, due to the COVID, um, he can't go away to school. So he's virtual learning at, at home. Um, but they did open up the gym, so he's going to the gym and, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a 20 something. He's 20 years old. Yeah. Yeah, He's having fun. He's, he's doing his thing. And I think he's trying to, but COVID is limiting. Yeah. But, but it's lucky for you because you get to keep him longer than a lot of parents who have kids college age. That's true. The first two years he wanted to stay local. So he went to a junior college and as much as uh, going away would have been great for him and his personal growth selfishly I'm, I'm i'm glad that he's still around well david uh it's really an incredible story um i'm honored to know you and have known you for so long and call you a friend you're an amazing dad you're definitely a beacon of hope for so many parents who are, who are also waiting for their child to come home and so i i just wanted to thank you for for talking to me for kind of going deep and, and talk about something that's you know, so personal and was such a challenging time and to talk about Sean's life and, and your life together. And uh, I really look forward to having you back on the show. And this is a subject that really needs a lot of attention and, and we want to help in any way that we can to, to bring more kids back. So thank you. Thanks, Avery. And I appreciate you still keeping us to the forefront. Uh, we met during our abduction case many, many years ago when you were with America's Most Wanted and you had a great interest and you did what you could to help us. And I will always remember and never forget and appreciate and will be forever grateful for your help in not only my issue, but continuing the issue of, of uh, trying to help these innocent children, the most vulnerable among us. Thanks again, David. And thank you for joining me. Please download and listen to the next episode of Making the Case, Crimes Against Kids, when we'll learn from another insider and hear about more incredible cases. And please visit SOS360.com to learn how to protect your organization and make it safer for our children. Remember, safety begins from the inside out. Until next time, bye-bye.